Uh, Megan and I were talking just this week about um, this is a tricky time for us as Christians. It's a tricky time for you, Bethany Eastside, with your lead pastor, Travis, out on sabbatical. And I just want to say kind of a pastoral word, and then we'll pray and we'll dive into the text, um, that uh, with everything that we have faced as a community, as a church, as a nation, as a city, you know, where do we go back? Like, we're talking COVID, we're talking George Floyd's murder, we're talking, you know, like, what all exactly are we talking about? It, it's been a difficult last couple of years, certainly. And then even within these last two weeks, to be a Christian has been complicated for so many people with Supreme Court rulings, gun violence, loss of life. We could go on and on and on. Um, and... Um, so I just want to say a word of um, a word of blessing to you in this season where I know you're in great hands with Megan and Stephanie, great lay leaders. Travis did such an exceptional job preparing for a sabbatical, which you know Travis is no surprise, very detail-oriented, and very, um, we're super grateful Tyler Easley will be with you, especially a lot in the second half of the summer. He's a great interim pastor, great senior pastor. I mean, you're in good hands. Um, but you are part of the Bethany Fellowship, and we're really grateful that you are part of the fellowship. And just as the, as the lead shepherd over the fellowship, I just want to say in this season, um, I am calling people to a higher view of loving God and loving others as a preeminent priority. Um, it has been harder than ever for people to say, I'm a Christian and proud of it because of the different badges that some Christians wear. But as we're going to look in the story today, and as I just want to kind of pray into, this is a time of unity of what Jesus says in this story about loving God with our whole selves and loving others, and that moving us into being people of mercy and mission and compassion and presence. And, um, and it's just flat out complicated right now. Like we're so excited that we're protecting life and we're so worried about lives that aren't protected. And so we can say that it's a complicated time to just honor Christ and love other people. And I just want to encourage you more than ever before or in the same manner as you've ever been reminded that the world needs your love and your, and your mercy and your Christ-focused mission to the city because for so many people, they don't know if they can trust Christians so more than even what you think, we're going to talk about orthodoxy today. I want to encourage you to be people of practice, orthopraxy. And so this, this word about loving our neighbors, this, this work of being, trying to be mindful of our own brokenness in order to be filled with the measure of Christ and his spirit living within us so that we would have a ministry in the city. Um, we need you more than ever before to be loving God and loving other people because it's a complicated time for people to say, what do these Christians believe and how are they living their values? That's what Christ does in this text. It's actually what he'll do over and over again in this, um, in this series on the parables. He tells stories because Jesus knows it's stories more than sermons often that the world needs. But I want to encourage you to live the story, live the story of Christ in a really specific way of having a love that's bigger than the issues that are dividing us right now, to be people on mission. And thinking, as the stories of the text often do, 
The people most at the margins are where Christ's love is often calling us to. The people that are most feeling like victims going on right now. If we can love from the furthest out, Jesus is saying, that's often where I want you to start. Because at the margins, I have something to teach you. So let me pray, and we'll dive into this thing. Jesus, thank you so much for this fellowship. We thank you for Bethany Eastside and their faithfulness. We thank you for this building, for the generosity of IPC to make a way uh, for us to worship here. Jesus, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this old story, and we would ask that you would make it new again. You would open us up to be thinking people with the transforming of our minds, but, but impacted people that our lives would be changed by your gospel and your gospel message. Lord, we love you. We need you more than ever before. Would you help us love you and love others in new and specific ways? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I might just grab this head. This thing is making noises when I'm not even moving, Ian. It's like, I don't know. It's like the spirit's on me today or something. But if we turn, can I turn this and just go? We good to go? That, yes, Jesse, I'm looking at you. We're good? Okay, perfect. We're mowing yards. We're having microphone issues. I love it. This is like where Jesus has a surprise for us. Um, I, often, I love being a pastor. I love being a pastoral minister. I just want to, he's not here. I, I wish I could have been here on Travis's kind of departure Sunday. I was able to send in a video, but was not able to be here. But just really, you're in good hands with Travis and Jill. They're phenomenal people. They love this fellowship. Um, they're all in here. And uh, we're so glad that they're out on sabbatical. I really want to honor Stephanie, who's not in the room right now, and Megan. It's a tricky time when your leader is gone, especially right now. So I really honor these two incredible women who are leading really well. Um, and it's a joy to be here. Um, when, I, um, when I get a chance to um, preach, one of the things that I love about preaching, but I also at times I'm like, oh, really, Lord? is I do feel like Jesus asks us as communicators to live the story before we teach the story. The easiest thing to do is stand on a platform with a microphone. The much harder thing to do is what you're doing, sitting in a row and saying, how do I live this? How do I live this out? And not just like believe things, but live things. And so I do feel like God calls me as a communicator to live it before I teach it. So this week, teaching about the Good Samaritan, I was with my kids. I've got four kids on earth, one in heaven. Uh, one just graduated high school. It's a real wild time for our family, but um, I've been working all day, working from home, and as a parent, you know that dance, and the kids now on summer break, hey, can we play? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll play. So we get outside, finally, I'm like, hey, I need to just be with my kids and be a good dad here. We're doing skateboard races down the down the, the cul-de-sac, and so we're racing in the cul-de-sac, and, and I was going too fast on my daughter's longboard, and so I turned up into my neighbor's driveway to stop myself and almost fell. This is the neighbor across the street from us, and she doesn't like us. We have dogs. She has a cat. We have kids. She has a cat. We are loud. She has a cat. And there's just, she's not a big fan of us. And so, um, you know, I, I went up into her driveway to slow myself, and it's covered in moss, and it's quite steep. And I thought, this isn't good. So I, I ran into her as we're walking back home, and I said, neighbor, uh, you have moss in your driveway. Why were you in my driveway? Oh, no, I, I was on my skateboard and went in there, but why were you in my driveway? I said, let me just keep going. I would like to power wash your driveway. I've got a power washer. It doesn't get used very much. 
you need it. That, does that get slippery in the winter? Well, yeah, I actually have to kind of crisscross my way down. I said, you know what? Let me wash your driveway. And to see her, like, bristle with joy. We're not, you know, I wasn't being unpleasant to her in that moment. And I wasn't being too loud to her in that moment. And to see the joy, and I thought, oh, that's, that's it. Like, that's my story. I get to live it. I get to be the good neighbor. No, that's not where Jesus had me living the story. Because in this story today, you're going to hear about somebody that's been robbed, left bloodied and bruised by the side of the road. And so in just the other way that Jesus had me live the story this week, on Friday night, uh, we had a rat. We have chickens, so we have rats. We had a rat in a bucket and the dog. This is why my neighbor hates us, right? And so the dog's barking at 10 at night. I go out barefoot. The rat jumps out of said bucket. It runs across my feet. I jump back, and the wheelbarrow falls on my big toe and kind of fillets it in half. So we're in the ER Friday into Saturday for about five hours as I got four stitches down my big toe and uh, as uh, just I just got to learn bruised and bloodied. And to sit, as Jared knows, our ERs, hospitals, really challenged right now. Short-staffed, covid and to sit in this ER room and to see the amount of pain in that room, like physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. The, the ER in Swedish Edmonds was so full, they were actually just triaging and doing all the care in the waiting room. And I'm sitting out there with this like bloody rag over my foot for five hours. And certainly there was a physical pain, but I was like, oh, Lord, there's so much pain in the world. There just is. This story asks us to identify, well, where's the pain points? Where are the bruised and the bloodied? And how are we living our values? This story, Ryan and I were talking about, is arguably like one of the most famous Bible stories in all the scripture. Like if you do a comparative religion studies course in universities, oftentimes Good Samaritan might be one of the few Bible texts you might see. Like this story is so built into our text of society. We even have the Good Samaritan laws in the books in all 50 states. It's part of our fabric of a society, Good Samaritan, from this story. So this is, this is kind of a famous story. But very briefly, you're like, this is not a brief introduction to your sermon, Scott. Like, are we here for an hour? Like, we'll, we'll get there. Ryan's like, how long are you going to go? I'm like, I use a timer because this could just keep going. But... I want to challenge you that God might just ask you a specific question today. And maybe the question is like around some wounding that you've experienced. Because I do think before I ask you to be a person of compassion in your neighborhood or in your workplace, you need to deal with where you need compassion in your own spirit and where God wants to minister to you. For some, it's like, all right, you know, what does it look like to be on mission? For some, it's what does it look like to, to be present to where God is speaking? Um, Oftentimes at Bethany, I find it's like, oh, I've got, you know, we're going to talk about Second Kings, and it's Elisha, and it's, what it's like, oh, I haven't heard that story before. I really kind of lean in. But some of these gospel texts, we think, oh, I've heard this one before. But I don't want to uh, leave anybody out there. I want to encourage you to be listening to where God is speaking to you. And I want to just look at this story from three angles we're going to look at the idea of mission and presence and compassion. And the hope is that something you hear today from God inspires you around being a good Samaritan, being a person that's going and doing the word. From orthodoxy, the stuff we believe about God, to orthopraxy, the way we actually behave in our homes, in our relationships, in our workplaces. 
And all of that around this big idea that the call of a follower of Jesus will be to align with the most marginalized, to be bruised, to be bloody, to be impacted by the world we serve. You cannot love this Jesus and not be bloodied a bit. You just can't. And for some of you, you're like, I'm already a little bloodied this morning, Scott. And that's okay. Like, that's a starting point because dealing with our own pain will allow us to then be used in the lives of others. But let's look at this here. Let's look at the text. We're going to talk first about mission. That for many, as we come to this text, the knowledge isn't the issue for us. It wasn't the issue for the lawyer. It's the actions. It's the question about how do I live this? This is what loving God will look like. So Jesus starts here in Luke 10. If you brought your Bible, I'm going to just kind of exegete the text here. In verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can stop there. Eternal life isn't something that we inherit or that we grasp onto and own. We are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, and we should be thinking about giving away the kingdom of God as much as inheriting. There's something about inheritance for me because I'm selfish by nature, and I'm prideful, and I, I'm inherently wanting to sustain my own self. So if I'm inheriting something, it often will stay with me, or maybe if I'm lucky, get passed on to people behind me. We don't inherit God's kingdom. We live into it so that we can give it away. So from the very beginning, there's like, oh, he wants to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, do this, and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? So we're just going to pause there. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? In the context of this great commandment, loving God, loving others, who is my neighbor? Jesus is going to tell a story to kind of illustrate. I've already said it. I keep saying everywhere I'm preaching this series, the power of parables is the power of life. Because oftentimes we hold on to story above message. Someone will come up to me and say, you know, hey, a couple years ago you were at that thing. Or you, uh, you know, you talked about a thing. And you told this story about the rat and your split toe. Or, you know, that we remember story. And so Jesus often told story in order to engage us in our own lives. Like, where are we being drawn into the story? Where is the things we think about God being challenged to be sent on a mission for God? In the book of Isaiah, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah to show this difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And let me be clear, both are needed. Paul will talk about the transformation of our minds and Jesus is going to invite this expert in the law to live the story. Both are important to be kingdom people. In Isaiah 1, God said, stop bringing meaningless sacrifices to me. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. I hate it with all my being. They become a burden to me. This is Isaiah 1, verse 8, 9. When you spread out your hands in prayer, God says, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you're offering prayer, I'm not listening because your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. If you want to just have your, like, world rock, start slowly reading Isaiah. Just go a chapter a day and just be reminded that we are meant to be people of mission. You have to be a person of mission, not 
because God's going to judge you, but you're just missing the whole story of faith unless you're living with this question, who is my neighbor? Who are marginalized people in our society that are being impacted by our theology? How are we loving the most victimized in order to show the grandeur of our God? Anyone could love their family, but Jesus' people are called to love the most oppressed. So our mission must be made bigger by the size of the love of our God because we've all been adopted into a family we could never earn on our own, which is called grace. We're meant to be people of grace. That's where our mission is born. So Jesus challenges the systems and he tells the story of mission, but he doesn't use just you know anyone to do it. He talks about the Samaritans. And many of us know this, but it's just good reminders that Samaritans in Jesus' day were the most marginalized people. Samaritans, all the way back from 722 BC, when Assyria conquered Israel and the Assyrians started to intermarry, there were the holy ones that followed the way of the law, and then there were the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were the ones that were not measuring up. The Samaritans, which had their own temple, their own idea of kingdom, their own sacrifice system, their own ideas of afterlife, they were the most despised of the family. And there's something about when the people that were supposed to be in your family, you break fellowship, there's a special vitriol and anger for those people. That sometimes we can hold even our enemies at, a, you know, at an easier distance than people that were in our family or were in our small group or were in our friend group and then we've broken fellowship with them. And so Jesus does this great invitation. And I just, you know, I need that reminder too that our invitation should be good news to people most on the margins. Most on the margins. Ryan um, and was in communication with me this week and, you know, he gets to teach world religion to, you know, a, a secular, a non-faithful thing. And he gets to teach the story of the Good Samaritan through the teaching of Martin Luther King when he teaches on King's life to his sixth graders. Because for Dr. King, he taught the story of the Good Samaritan often. It was one of King's favorite stories to connect mission and justice to God's people King's prophetic message was, you can't just think about this, Jesus. You've got to be like this good Samaritan. You've got to put your faith in action. King wrote this, preached this, actually. He said, on the parable of the good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? If I don't stop, what will happen to them? If I don't share with my neighbor my power washer, if I don't buy a meal for that man who's asking for money, I don't want to give money because he looks like he's not in a healthy place to be able to have that money right now, but if I don't feed him, what will he do tonight? What will happen to my children if I don't pray with them tonight to speak Jesus into their lives? What happens to my teenagers if I don't bridge the way they interpret the news with the mission of Jesus? See, we've got to get our mission back. We just do. We have to get our mission back. Oh, mission. Oh, we have world mission, Scott? No, no. 
We do that. I love that. We have missionaries. I love that. There's something more practical and tangible for us. We've got to... We've got to live the story of Jesus in new and powerful ways. Think back what I said before we started this sermon, that there's never been a bigger need for you to live the mission of Christ because the world doesn't trust us as Christians right now. They don't know. Are these people of mission? Are they people of some mindset that's going to harm someone I love? We've got to, we've got to live the invitation. The world needs it. My son and I were, um, he's 16, trying to figure out who Jesus is and what faith community looks like. And we went to pick up his car from the shop, and he's hungry because he's 16. He's always hungry. And we stopped at Chipotle, and there was a guy with a sign. What's your name, friend? Daryl. I don't have money on me, Daryl, but are you hungry? I am. What can I get you? He said, I have no teeth, so a burrito. We get him a burrito. It cost me $9 and four minutes of my life. And when I took the burrito out there and then I came back, this person, you know, my son and I, I wasn't, I wasn't virtue signaling. I, I hate to tell you the story because if you spend more time with me, I have actually more stories of my failures than my successes. So just trust. This isn't a patchy on the back story. There's a point here. My son and I are back in line. We're going on with our day. And this person runs in to the Chipotle on Linwood there. And they said, hey, hey, I just drove by. I'm like, yeah? I just drove by and I saw you do that thing for that guy. And I just, and I saw that your son was there. And I just, I just wanted you to know that I saw it. I've been thinking like, we got to do something too. And that just filled me with such hope. And he got, walked back out of the restaurant and drove off. See, like when we're people of mission, it's like throwing a, pond, a rock in a pond and just ripple effects. And again, like we're not the savior Jesus is, but if we can do small good things when we can, if we can live the story of Jesus and be people of mission, then we trust that God will use the ripples to impact for his kingdom. We're not the ripple maker, he is. We can just do our little part. So we wanna be, as we think about Good Samaritan, we wanna be challenging ourselves to be thinking, what does mission look like in the everyday? The second thing that this text challenged me this week as I studied is about presence. And about is the moment that we have, because the priest, the Levite, we don't know enough about why they can't stop, but you should ask yourself, why didn't they stop? And would I have stopped? Would I have stopped? And my simple answer, as I was studying the text this week, is I often don't stop. That burrito story is a great one to tell you, but the 10 signs I saw before that, I didn't. This is not like, oh, I always stop. I often don't stop. Why don't I stop? Well, because I'm busy, because I have kids, I'm working, I'm distracted, I'm preparing a sermon so I can't stop and like care for an unhoused person, right? It's like, ugh, you know, but like there's a challenge and invitation for the everyday Eastsiders. You guys are busy. You're working, you're changing the world, you're doing great things. But we gotta be challenged by this text about what presence looks like because that's where Jesus is inviting us. Isn't like, okay, next summer we're gonna go on a mission trip. Awesome. He's more concerned tomorrow. How will you live this story? So pick up in verse 30 of Luke 10. In reply, when the man says, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away. They left him half dead. It's a very violent scene. If you think of like, what would Jerry Bruckheimer do with this as like a major blockbuster film? Like, like allow your mind to actually see this man on the road. He's been bloodied. 
He's been attacked with fists and stones and sticks. And he's not got clothes on. I mean, it's a very, very violent, disturbing image. This is not nothing. This man has been left for dead. And the priest happens to be going down the same road. When they saw the man, he passed by on the other side. They weren't present. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. Next day, took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you in full for extra expenses. So a man is going down the road, a Jewish man. This is told to Jewish audience. She's saying, you're in the story. So Jesus is always inviting our own story to encounter his story. He's like, you're in the story, and you all know that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was the road of robbers. It was a downhill walk, five to seven miles, it, treacherous, twisting. Like, this was a commonality. This is like, you could tell a story in Seattle, like that one part of downtown or that one place where you know if you were going to be there alone, there would be a higher risk of danger than maybe in your own neighborhood. Maybe not. I don't know your neighborhood. But Jesus is saying, like, this is a place that you've been. And a man was victimized. The story asks us to be present to who in our everyday is being victimized. Jesus does not tell these people about a road that they've never traveled. That's really important to know. He talks to them about their neighborhood. He talks to them about their experience. And he asks them to say, are you present to the victims among us? Or are you busy? Are you distracted? Do you miss it? Are you so thoughtful of the way in which, like the priest, you're trying to live the words on the page that you miss when Jesus puts something right in front of you. In Jewish and rabbinical law, if a priest, like I have wrestled, why didn't they stop? If the priest would have bandaged the bloodied man because of Levitical law, Old Testament law, he would have needed to kind of sit out from priestly service for seven days. So you could make the argument for the priest, like if I go and care for this one man, I can't care for all those people later. He's a priest. He's got work to do in the synagogue. And that challenges me because how often are we doing that? Like if I care for this situation or if I show mercy to this one people group or if I'm doing something, it's really going to be more costly later and I got to do this thing. I think people with children, like we really get drawn into that because there's so much work in caring for the little ones, which is a blessing and it's a ministry, but it can't be our only ministry. We make an idol of raising kids in this city. And I'm talking to myself. I never miss youth soccer. My kids often miss church or youth group. So those are choices we make. So if I'm going to prioritize the tournament at Crossfire 60 Acres, where I'll be this afternoon, how will I also bring Jesus to these kids? I took my wife to the airport this morning. We're just, we're talking about that in our home. Like, we're going on vacation next week. Let's read James and try to just open the scripture and try to live these values. So I'm being vulnerable with you because I'm not telling you something that I'm not wrestling with myself. We really, really struggle with this as a people because we're busy. And we need to be present to the way in which we're living the values 
Who's been victimized right around us? Who is Jesus asking us to care for? My dog got hurt this week. I'm going to tell you guys stories. The sermon is about stories. The series about stories. George is going to be telling stories in West Seattle next week. Those are going to be good stories. This guy's a great preacher. We call him the future. Uh, my dog had to have surgery. We had a rough week. My dog had to have surgery this week. Tore like a, a three-inch gash in his like underbelly. How did you know, my wife said? Because he was acting especially angry. My dogs have issues. So I, I'm like, well, tell me more. She said, well, he, he came in and I was trying to pet him and he was growling me. And then I tried to like kind of reach under his belly and he really growled me and he actually bared his teeth. And he kept showing more and more signs of anger the closer and closer I got to his wound. So the closer I got to his wound the more angry he got. And finally, as I just sat with him and slowly took my time with him, I was able to scratch him, roll him on his back, and see the spot which he'd been rolled open. See, we've got to pay attention to the things that we're wounded by, that we're angry about, that we're triggered, that we're judging other people. Last week's message is about judging. Because if we're not in tune with some of our own wounds, we're going to have a hard time being present to the wounds of others. Jesus is challenging this man to say, like, is there aspects of your own ministry that you know the answers, but you're not living the answers? And what did I learn from my dog? Like, as I started to care for the dog, Doug laid its head bare, is his name, laid his head on my lap, the closer I was able to actually care for the wound. Just had me thinking about my own life. I so often, if I've been hurt by someone... I have a hard time showing mercy and compassion. Where are we wounded? Where's a struggle right now? This story certainly wants to move you beyond your story. But if we go rushing into the neighborhood, we're going to be on mission to the apartment complex up here that I just drove by. But we don't deal with where Jesus is changing our own story and our own woundedness. Then sometimes we're trying to be the healers. No, we're called to serve Jesus who from his own bodily resurrection lived out his earthly ministry before ascending to heaven by still bearing his wounds. He wanted his friends to say, they hurt me, but my love could not be held in a grave. So we're people of mission, we're people of presence to become people of compassion. This story challenges us to be people of compassion. And there's, here's how Jesus ends the story. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even name him as a Samaritan. Some scholars say because he's now dropped the labels and he just sees the goodness of the man. Others speculate it's so hard for him to see God moving in the marginalized of the Samaritan. He couldn't even name it. But he says, the one who had mercy. And Jesus says, go and do life like that. Go and do faith like that. Go and live your values in such a way that the world is paying attention, that they're saying, look at those Christians. Look how they think. Look at those Christians. Look at how they vote. I don't think so. I think it's look at those Christians. Look how they love. Look how they love. I was an English major in Los Angeles. Do a verb study of what the Samaritan does. I mean, there's like 12 verses. 
He, he, he goes to the man. He, 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 he went to him. He bandaged him. He pours wine. He, he puts the man on a donkey. He brings him to an inn. He takes care of him. He pays for him. It, like, it's a faith in action. It's a faith of doing. He's not justified here. Because remember, this, the, Jesus is answering question not about salvation, but about how to be a neighbor. We don't earn our way to the feet of Jesus. But if we're going to be people of Jesus, we've got to learn how to do the verbs of neighboring. How do we love others well? How are we called into the margins? How do we be people living this story of loving God and loving others? It's a call back to first love. It's a call back to being people that don't just think about Jesus a certain way, but live with an ethos of love where we're caring for the people. And if it's a burrito or it's power washing or it's the child that you need to open the scriptures with, if it's people that are being adversely affected, like in King's ministry, where he's like, you can't just call yourself a Christian and not care for the people on our streets or the people of different races who have been impacted by racial discrimination. You gotta live the story. The night before he was killed, Dr. King in Memphis, he preached this text. This is the bend to the mountaintop sermon. He's quoting Good Samaritan at the end of that, that sermon where he's like, I've been to the mountaintop. I'm not scared to go. Go and live like that. Go and be people of mission. Not, not guilt trip, but invitation. Living the story, living our values. I care, like, okay, Scott, let's, let's spend some time and unpack the ethical issues the church is facing. I care about those too, but we're in, a, we're in a heightened sense right now. We've got to love God and love others in a way we never had before. We've got to find unity. Bethany has this longstanding history by Rupertus Meldonius, a Lutheran theologian, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Let's find our essence and our essential of loving God and being people going and doing, going and doing the faith like this brave Samaritan, loving the marginalized, living our, our values, because that's what the world needs now more than ever before. So as we get into groups in just a second, I just want to know like what, you know, there's some questions in your bulletin, too many, my bad, pick one. Like, what's happening for you in the message as you think? Is there an invitation towards living this out? Is there something in your own story that feels really wounded that you're like, I can't go and do anything right now because I'm really hurting? And that's okay. You can kind of share that place too. We talked about that. Like, just get into your groups and kind of process where the spirit was kind of stirring you and then we'll come back and do some announcements. But let me pray you into those group times. Jesus, thank you so much for this fellowship. We thank you for this day. Lord, we'd ask that you just make us people that are living our values. Make us people going and doing like the Good Samaritan. May we find unlikely heroes too, God. We know that you have a special love and affection for those most impacted by adversity. And so if there's people in this room that just feel like, man, this is my story. I feel bruised. I feel bloodied. I feel beat up. God, would you minister to them? Would you allow them to kind of share their hearts with their groups? And God, for others uh, of, of us gathered, just, you know, invite us to live this in the week ahead. And as we talk about it with our friends here, uh, help us enter the story in practical ways. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Groups, apparently you know what to do right now. So go and do what you do. Ryan's going to bring you out of the time in announcement time. Pick one of those questions and let's go for it.